23DB Production Studios in the Garden State, New Jersey, this is the Art of Music Tech with your hosts, Fela and Dennis. Let's go, let's go, let's go, and welcome to the Art of Music podcast. Uh, we're in sunny L.A. Uh, I'm your host, Fela, and over there is my ho- co-host, Dennis. Hey, guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, today, we're with uh, our friend and music producer, Jeff Bova. Uh, he's worked with Celine Dion, Michael Jackson, Herbie Hancock. It just keeps going on and on. But we want to get his story today. Hello, Jeff. Hey, you guys. Great to be here. Uh, yes, and Bova Land in L.A. <laughs> Hi Jeff, long time no see. Yes, you too, Dan. It's great to see yes, you. Yes, yes, Jeff. You, you you were in our first incarnation of the art of music tech in the video world. And uh you were one of the people we definitely wanted to come back to because we had to cut so much to fit within this five minute window that we kind of gave ourselves with that project, but Today, we get to go long form and get all of the knowledge. And we got more questions, too. Yes. All right. <laughs> okay. yeah, I can't wait. No, yes. So uh, we're going to start off with uh, where you're from and what your story into music, your parents into music. I think you're, I've seen yeah. you post about your dad being in military bands. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I grew up in a musical family. My, my dad, uh, he, he started off in the Air Force uh, band, a jazz band, which is called the Airmen of Note. It was the Glenn Miller band recommissioned after World War II during the Korean War. So uh, when he was thinking about either serving, possibly getting drafted, he and a buddy has went down to D.C. and auditioned for the band and, and got in. So they did their four years in uh, in the Air Force, and they uh, you know, toured around, did did the uh, military bases, yeah, all USO, over the, world. the yeah. USO kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Except they they're they're right they're in it. In it. <laughs> they, they are in it. <laughs> so uh, oh, wow. So it was really really fun. So right right from the very beginning, you know, uh-huh. the, I I there was music and mom, before I was born. My mom she was like the support. The support team, you know, all yeah. the way along, she was like the uh, manager of all things musical um, going on. Yeah. Okay, yeah. dropping off, taking you there where you're at Absolutely. rehearsals when you get you. Okay. Totally, and and uh, <laughs> and with my sister, who's a couple years younger than me, she was a, a piano major at, at Manus College of Music and got her master's at Eastman. And so when we were growing up, between my father, my sister, and I, we were all managing practicing. So my mom would manage our practice hours. So we cut, she'd kind of say, okay, you start on the piano first. I, uh, then she'd go to my sister, okay, get on clarinet. We'd start there, and then we'd switch, because I, I, we, we both played uh, piano, and we had a wind instrument. So I played uh. trumpet and piano, and she played clarinet and, and piano. Mm-hmm. And then my dad would lock himself in the bathroom to do his warm-ups before he left Left for and, work. And, and what did he play again? Oh, he's a trumpet player. Trumpet player. He's a trumpet player, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. You wanted to follow in step with him, kind of. Yeah, you know, I didn't know anything. <laughs> we, we didn't know anything else besides that. We grew up in it, and, I mean, when he when he moved to New York after, after being in the service mm-hmm. and just started his career there, you know, we were exposed to so much. I mean, everything from... Uh, the, the, the hotel big bands that were still playing in the major hotels in Manhattan uh-huh. to um, 
to like the the ballets. Oh, he was there was a t about ten year period where he was playing in the orchestra. It was basically a pickup orchestra that would play for all the out of town ballet companies that would come to New York to play at the Met. Mm -hmm. So we got to see every every one. It was just amazing. In uh -huh. fact, I, I I got to see, we got to see the first. Uh, it was uh, uh, Nureyev and Fontaine. They did it was like again Russian and Royal Ballet uh -huh. uh, dancing Swan Lake together, which was at the time like an epic moment, especially after the Cold War, oh. uh, for them to be dancing together. And uh, my dad played in the orchestra for that. So seeing some legendary performers growing up like that, I mean, who's who's not going to want to like say, this is the business for me to yeah. be in? You know? and, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. And when I was old enough to go into the studio or into the Broadway pit, my dad would bring me in and I could, I could sit and watch. Uh, so I remember my first sessions... And, you know, I was learning all along, you know, okay, you got to be there 30 minutes before the session starts. And my dad would always actually, he, he or one, one or two other guys would be the earliest ones. And you'd already see like maybe a trumpet on the stands, maybe a trombone on one of the chairs. So the guys already came in, marked their spots uh -huh. and did their thing. So, so I, I got, I got sort of, you know, sort of programmed into like what this life was like uh -huh. and and how how you should be in it. And okay. uh, yeah. how to be a professional in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was that's something not a lot of people got exposed to <laughs> exactly. that early on. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Wow, that's great. Yeah. Uh, were you born in New York? No, I was actually I was born in Washington D.C. when my Washington, dad was in the service. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then you moved to New York. You, yeah. How old were you? Connecticut. Uh, I was just a couple. Uh, I was two years old by that two time. Two years old. Yeah. So grew up in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, mm. and my dad commuted into into the city to New York. Oh wow! Yeah. Every day, uh, he, when he worked, when he was working, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, every day, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he he was doing pit work mostly live then, or or it was a mix of everything. Oh, he, so he would even do he'd be the recording sessions rec during oh, the studio okay. as a yeah. studio musician. Yeah, yeah, oh. totally. Yeah, so that was the okay. thing. That's that's when. Okay. You, you were doing both live, oh. you were doing studio stuff, jingles were hiring jingles, live musicians, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like crazy. <laughs> That's when um, most people won't remember it below the, you know, I, I'm trying to think how many years ago this would be. Well, you'd, you'd have to be over, you might have to be over 50. Mm -hmm. But Radio Registry, the answering service for all the studio musicians in New York at the time, had a telephone in every major studio. And it was a direct line into the booking agency. So you would call up, and if you had a had a job, uh, you just pick it up to registry. They check if you had any sessions to go to, and then you would go to your next session. They would they would book it if you were available. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, even a couple of restaurants had them in there, like yeah. hangouts. Yeah, go into the registry phone. I think uh, Possible Twenty was a restaurant. That was like in the fifties. Oh. That was like the spot you, you know, all you musicians hung out. Yeah, I think Pete Levin mentioned. Yes, that he would. He would <laughs> he know did. that. He would know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He mentioned that setup. I was like, oh wow, you just waited at a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. You know, no cell phones yeah, or like that. Wow. Landline. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. So that was like the the. You know the big convenience there. Oh, just wow. call in the and... salad days of, of that yeah. musician area. Yeah, so that that's how I grew up knowing it. Yeah, you, you get your call, call in the registry. I was so proud the day I joined Radio Registry. I yeah, go, I was a real professional then. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so mm. walk us to that. So you're learning individual um, 
instruments and then you get into bands when you're a teenager yeah i was i was you know i was bitten by the yeah because i was playing piano and trumpet in elementary school and that was when the beatles happened so all of a sudden playing classical piano was no longer interest to me i had to learn how to play play you know pop and rock pop. songs yeah. yeah yeah but tr- trumpet i always was a classical player i love that and i and and some jazz i i love playing trumpet and i i wasn't really like uh i wasn't really attuned to that world i just i just loved so much i guess through my dad but on keyboards i i was totally into rock and roll and that so was that's okay. what yeah that kind of <laughs> led me in there so had my was playing my first you know band in like seventh grade seventh eighth grade mm-hmm. oh. and uh, so i had that going at the same time i was playing orchestra and band in school and all that so i was doing it at the same time so when by the time i got to be a senior in high school i, I could really the only audition i could really uh make was the trumpet auditions as far as going to music school because oh, uh, i was just playing rock keyboards and the only school there would have been qualified at the time was was berkeley that'd be going for you know pop and rock uh but uh, and i was thinking about it. i wanted to go to manhattan school of music in new york yeah. on trumpet but uh my dad was playing uh a broadway show with angela lansbury in boston that was doing its out-of-town trials and his second trumpet player was the head of the brass department at berkeley so my dad told him what i was doing he says well have him come up here and audition for berkeley so i said sure he says you might as well right so I, i came up did my audition uh got in and just at the time it seemed like the the thing to do so i went i went to berkeley for one semester and uh, really felt it, w- it wasn't for me. I wanted to go to a conservatory in New York, so I uh, mm-hmm. uh, re-auditioned for uh, a couple schools, Hart College and, mm. uh, and Manhattan. I got into Manhattan. So that, that's when I moved down to New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so New York. Yeah. <laughs> so how old are you when you moved back to New York? Oh, that would have been... Uh, She's nineteen. Nineteen. Uh, nineteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I was, I was studying with Mel Broyles at the Metropolitan Opera. Which fast forward to where my dad was, was playing there. You know, got to be in the, uh, mm. you know, studying in the in the pits where my my dad worked at the uh-huh. at the Met, and so taking familiar lessons. with him. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And at the same time, I was playing in bands, making money on weekends, playing keyboards. Oh, okay. So I was mm. with a band. We got assigned to a record deal. It was like a, a progressive jazz rock band, and we got a, got signed to Vanguard Records, Ooh. which at the time, like Larry Coryell and the 11th House were on it. Uh, mm. Alphonse Mouzon was playing, I think, in his band. Uh, Clark Terry was on uh, mm. the label at the time. Mm. Uh, you know, really, like, legendary people. Band Oregon was on there, too. Mm. And uh, so we got a deal, and I said, oh, well, that's it. I got a record deal. I'm I'm leaving school, so I uh, I left school after a couple of years, and uh, spent. We did a couple of albums for Vanguard, and after two years, we uh, we we got dropped and found out what the real deal was with being on a label and what that was all about. Uh-huh. Did you make yeah. any money? No. No. Okay. No, no. But you were making money as a uh, we were, session musician, right? Not. I hadn't really not, started as a session musician. Oh, oh that, not that yet. helped okay. get me started. I was really. We were playing gigs. You know, we were we were doing gigs as a band. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Trying to sell the albums. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So we learned all about record company support or the lack thereof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to play in really some cool places. Village Gate, uh, remember? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Opening up for the Brecker brothers and stuff oh, like that. Really yeah. really yeah. cool stuff. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was brilliant. You know, meeting like Will Lee in his very early, early days in New day. York, <laughs> playing with the Breckers <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. All right. And was like, Who the heck is this guy? <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> you know, how he's twenty two, what? You know, <laughs> it's just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. 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 He already had that spark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after we got after our deal and it's I started playing just to make some money playing some cover bands, you know, doing literally like holiday inns playing, uh, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. disco stuff and everything like this. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to studying privately. So I studied with a teacher for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then the piano? You know, uh, no, uh, composition. And composition. Oh, yeah. Okay. oh, yeah. Yeah. So I figured that was kind of a missing element out of my, my uh, re- repertoire there. <laughs> Uh-huh. to do that so uh while i was doing that the uh, I was, when i was playing some bands the the first programmable polyphonic synths came out you know they were microprocessors just showed up and you could go from a patchable synth to now something you could store the presets so that was magic so i sold my hammond c3 and Ooh. bought an Oberheim OB8. Mm-hmm. Uh, or OBX, actually. That was my first my first one. Oberheim. Yeah, eight-voice OBX. Uh-huh. And I started doing gigs just on that, you know, using... using Safe the, presets, getting ready for shows. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I was gigging around for, yeah, it was a couple, couple years doing work like that when uh, a friend of mine who was also, the, we were kind of the Oberheim guys, we were, we were kind of all a family uh, uh, Pete Cantarosi, a keyboard player, was playing with uh, Roberta Flack. And he got mm. asked to play uh, with a band called Change that Luther Vandross had had sung on the oh, album yeah. for. And they needed a, a second keyboard player to play synths. So uh, he, he referred me. So I went down, auditioned, got the gig. And that was like the beginning of then starting to really like gig seriously with like real bands with real albums yeah. coming out. Yeah. Mm. So toured with Change for, for a few years. Oh, wow. And... Uh, that each thing led to another. That led to playing with Nona Hendrix with her band, yeah. and um, and then uh, it was a result of playing with Nona and getting introduced to Bill Laswell, Nona's producer, who produced Herbie Hancock's Rocket, and that mm-hmm. was the big that was the big career door opener for me there. Yeah. Yeah. Big stage and yeah, yeah. that yeah. record exploded. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> In fact, I was playing with Nona. We were playing on on uh, Martha's Vineyard, and the DJ put on Rocket. I'd never heard it before, and we're going, "What the heck is this?" I never heard. I never heard turntables before. I never heard scratching. They had no idea. And yeah. little did I know. Literally two months after that, we were. It was the end of the summer, and two months after that, I get a phone call from his management saying, "Yeah, Bill Laswell referred you. Uh, we need a second keyboard player to play with Herbie." And I was like, "Yeah." He says, "You want to come down to SIR?" I said, "Yes, please, thank you." <laughs> so uh, they gathered a whole bunch of us that were handpicked, and we did a uh, did a couple of days rehearsal with Herbie, and at the end of it manager just said okay herbie you happy and he said yep i love it the guys are great boom we were in and uh we were the rocket band, rocket wow. band. yeah so yeah. that that tour went all over the world it yeah was, and yeah. how long was that well we went on a bunch of tours but over a period of five years we had uh we had toured on on the rocket for mm-hmm. like a couple of different Hopefully, seasons yeah. and then uh, the sound system album came out after that and we toured on that uh-huh. so uh, we were doing uh you know tv TV stuff. We were doing a, a ton of tours. We were to Japan, 
I mean, in those five years, must have been to Japan 25 times. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, we do all the festivals and, you know, uh, summer festivals, plus go in the winter and do the, do the sort of the regular, you know, concert tours. Uh, yeah. So the, did you work on any other projects during the rocket? Uh, yeah, because at that time when tour? we were off the road, that's when people say, "Oh, you're Herbie's keyboard player." I think, <laughs> I think yeah. we should hire you to play on our record. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So at that time, uh, that's that's when um, a, a buddy of mine was uh, managing Cindy Lauper, oh, and uh, the True Colors, in, the True Colors, yeah, True Colors album. So I came out of True Colors, yeah. and worked alongside with uh, Jimmy Braylauer who came up with the, he, came, he, he came up with the idea really to have, because programming was all like just one person programming in the room. And he said, you know, you, everything is so evolving. People aren't used to working with programming. He said, have a drum programmer and a keyboard player, and we work together. We, both, we each programmed our own rigs on the same, working on the same song at the same time. So we could actually work together in tandem and kind of spontaneously in the moment as spontaneously as you could you know uh, react off of each other and uh and work up the arrangements and the tracks so that was like the collaboration there right in the control room you know uh-huh. with with cindy and that was uh they, we, they were we were nicknamed the killer bees because our initials are jb <laughs> and at the time uh, cindy was big with wrestling too because the, the, oh, the yeah. re- yeah, 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 because yeah, the W, yeah. <laughs> in the video, yeah, um, and the girls just yeah, Lou Albano. Yeah, Lou Albano. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. And uh, they were responsible, I guess, for helping back uh, the first, you know, Girls Just Want to Have Fun video. Really? So they, they were connected with them, and uh, so the wrestling world was kind of floating in our periphery there, so yeah. so we were the we were the musical tag team, tag team, <laughs> and we literally that's how our sessions would go. You know, she'd work up a beat with with uh, with Jimmy, a groove, uh-huh. and then I'd work up uh, you know the basic keys to go with it, uh-huh. and then he, then he'd go back and uh, and make some changes, working out the form of the song, and I'd hear it, and then alter the bass line, get that locked in with with the groove and everything like that, and we just go back and forth and, until we had it we had it right, and then print it. You know, and uh, so we were. That's literally what uh, our what our process. Printed to tape. Let's not forget there oh, was yes. no Pro Tools, right? <laughs> Printed to tape. Yep. Printed uh, to tape. T- can you explain that process, please? Because oh, I mean, yeah. a lot of people nowadays they just copy and paste stuff. You didn't have that ability. Yeah. No. No. So we our our luxury was to be able to run everything in the uh, in the sequencers in the drum machines. So that we could hear everything back, audition it before we even printed it. So the mm-hmm. full arrangement was done top to bottom, playing back uh, f- from from uh, from the machines. So then once that was decided, you know, we were everybody was signed off. Then they would print a simpty track on on track twenty four, uh, the analog tape, and then we'd uh, we'd lock up the tape. And then print each track separately, or make little subgroups if we had to with the sounds, mm-hmm. and uh, and run it down, sync, sync the tape, and that was that never that never worked right, you know. You, <laughs> you know, the minute the artist would walk into the room, you know, like, oh, how's it going? They all of a sudden sync would stop, and we uh, we wouldn't be able to lock everything; would be out of sync and all that. Because uh, yeah, they deal with a lot of lot of issues, like we had to learn about grounding. Uh, and we had to learn about how how ground worked on both the audio signal line and the ground on the chassis of the equipment. Yeah. Because if we weren't grounded to the console and the studio was like a properly wired studio, uh, and ground was off, 
the SMPTE code would get wacky. Something would get reversed, and we, would, we wouldn't be able to lock. So you always had to be really careful about that. And we knew if it wasn't working, you know, lift the, lift the, third, uh, the third pin, try it each way. <laughs> and sometimes you just had to kind of, like, wave a magic wand over yeah. it and, and hope it worked. What did you do that time? I don't know. Yeah, but it's working. Just, <laughs> just print, print the stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then it got more sophisticated with tempo maps. Then it was a, a box mm. that Dan Garfield invented, the Doctor Click, and uh, so now we could you could have a uh, click track going with tempo changes. Mm-hmm. It would read in the uh, the tempo the tempo track from the beginning again from tape, played into Doctor Click. From the count off, and then it would control the clock speeds of the drum machines and the uh, the sequencers, mm-hmm. and that way, then we could actually have tempo changes, and that's how we cut the original track for Celine Dion's "It's All Coming Back to Me Now," because that was the the main piano part of the original uh, track was cut live. Roy Bitten played the piano, and his piano performance was all cut together from multiple takes, and you know, at the time it was like you know seven minute long track so we generated a click track to the live piano she had to be dropped in manually against his piano so we had a click track that followed his piano performance right Uh. then from there it was loaded into the doctor click and then we could lock up to it and have our program tracks play along to the piano Hmm. it was it was crazy it was crazy i mean (laughs) But it, it, we did it. It got done. That was the only option, right? At there the was moment. no other option. <laughs> yeah. No other option. You either play live with the piano, but you'll lose the uh, uh, the programming ability mm-hmm. to lock it up. So we would do all our prearranging uh, of of the track to uh, uh, you know in the sequencer, and then we want to lock to the piano. Mm. Literally, just Doctor Click. We'd have a count off in front, and it would, would give us, you know, four counts or eight counts for free. And then as as the tempo changed, it followed the gaps because basically it was measuring the gap between each quarter note over uh-huh. the period of the song and just load its memory with that. And so you had to start from the same click at the beginning every time. If something happened halfway through it and you needed to reprint, you had to go back to the beginning to find which click you were on. There was a way you could do it, but you don't want to go on a seven-minute song. Uh, click number, you know, 586... You know, let's start there. That was crazy. So anyway, all that led to uh, everybody's uh, ingenuity saying, "This we can't do can't this anymore. Do we got to find other ways to make this happen. Even though that was a hit record, it's still we could do this in less time. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. it's like finding solutions. And that was yeah. that was the thing, you know, finding a solution to a real world problem. How do you how do you have the machines meet the analog gear and, uh, and make it work in live performance like that? So... Uh, you know, eventually we had click track generators that would that would pull the click off of the drums, so we would get that like an SBX uh, SBX eighty. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> would, would would pull that, and uh, we we and that would generate the click and the clock and the clock for all the sequencing, all mm-hmm. the sequencers. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. All right. Uh, so, so did did you end up getting to uh, help move that technology along? Did you uh, were you uh, Somebody that was called upon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, did, what 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 pieces give, of gear did you? We would did give you... feedback on it. You know, the the doctor click was a big one, uh-huh. and, and then uh, working out 
once the world moved into computers with Studio Vision and Performer, mm-hmm. then uh, we got li- we got more input on how to capture the tempos in the computer. Okay. And they started implementing that actually in the programs in Performer and Studio Vision. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But Celine Dion's album wasn't done on the computer, right? It was straight uh, up tape? No, actually, that the, the, one, that, the one I was on, uh, um, uh, Falling to You, that was, by that point, we were on... I was using an Akai Atom at the time, so they were uh, they were already running like on thirty three forty eight Sony thirty three forty eights at that point, uh, and or PCM eight hundreds Akais. I ended up actually as a result of that, I went from an Akai, an Atom, the twelve track Atom to uh, uh, PCM eight hundreds, the Sony PCM eight hundreds, and people were also using uh, uh, what do you call them? Uh, the uh, video version, uh, ADATS. Oh, yeah. ADATS. ADATS, yeah. Yeah. So that was in the digital tape world there at that yeah. particular point. No. Yeah. So what was the process working with Celine Dion? Well, it, it's um, all the tr- all the tracks that I was working on, I, I was working on them with, with Jim Steinman and uh, Call the Man, which is one I produced on that Um that was uh, basically the, the demo was given to me for that, and right. I worked up the basic track, printed that onto tape, and then transferred it over to thirty three forty eight for her to mm. sing on. You know, but but with with Jim, we actually had to pull out the original analog tapes of his version of "It's All Coming Back to Me Now" to uh, uh, to pull the track out because we tried they tried to cut it with a live band and it just didn't have the magic that his original version had which we cut Roy Bitten playing piano mm-hmm. so pulled that out and and ported it over and did a and updated it f- to be a, the, like the basic core track of the the version that Celine sang on mm-hmm. so we were back you know in the laboratory uh, extracting um, what we had done you know 10 years earlier on a, on a Jim Steinman track, which was analog, which was then transferred to digital. And then we, with the new technology, computer technology, because we were working off MPC 60s and, uh, and Lin sequencers in the 80s at that time to, uh, to, to the computers. That was 10 years later? Yeah, yeah. It was like wow. 1986, 87 that we, we cut the, uh, the original <laughs> version of It's All Coming Back to Me Now with Jim on Jim's wow. solo album. Jim had a solo album. He had like a, it was like four girl singers. It was like a project. It was called Pandora's Box. You can look it up. There's there's actually, they did a video. Okay, yeah, I have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. Elaine Caswell <laughs> was the lead singer on that. She was, she was a great New York singer. Uh-huh. And she uh, she sang the original. And uh, yeah, so the version for Celine, basically they loved the song and, and were essentially covering it so to speak uh-huh. and they tried to recreate it had to go back to it because with a jim steinman song too it's so it's so specific about how it's got to go got to go down you know it's the emotional sure energy of it and everything like that yeah, it, it's, it's an emotional song and yeah it, it kind of swings in a yeah. slow way yeah <laughs> yeah and that's 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 all you know that's live piano with yes, with okay. that was elaine singing with the, with roy bitten doing takes yeah. so he was feeling her vocal and and the the uh, the tempo the tempo map yeah. of it uh was was all live so that's where all the feel comes from yeah yeah wow. yeah cool 
<laughs> um, so that happens. Wow, you were that. So, and um, after so we're at the Celine Dion point. <laughs> That's a pretty big high point because that yeah. was the the Grammy. That was the the Grammy. The, the uh, album of the year award yeah, yeah. too. And my first production credit, and yeah, and that Grammy. happens, like yeah. wow, and the Grammy, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, setting the bar so, pretty high there. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you were working as you know, uh, as a, a musician, and now you're getting into the the production, production side and composition, and really something that you set yourself up for earlier yeah. in your career because you knew that's where you wanted to yeah. take it. Yeah, and, and you need all those, Yeah, especially the people are just starting, you need all those tools. You know, you, you can't just be doing one thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, you got you to be ready. You got to be really versatile. Yeah. Did, you, did you learn how to uh, record and uh, mix, engineer aspect? Did you learn? I never studied. I just was all along through my career, I was, I was in the room <laughs> with the world's best Mm -hmm. and and got to see what they did mm -hmm. so when it came time to, to somebody saying um hey do you, do you mind mixing this track in pro tools three you know it was <laughs> like you know i said well you know i'll try to figure out what to do here and and uh just had to kind of call upon that there weren't really any any courses at the time so i really had to call on all the knowledge and you know, regular engineers had been using on analog consoles mm -hmm. to learn how to do it. So I, I, I learned from the masters and I just adapted it along the way. And, mm -hmm. and now it's great. There's so many resources to like really learn the craft and, and a lot of, a lot of stuff you can learn online. I mean, I'm, I'm going online all the time, catching up on stuff I probably knew nothing about. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, so it, it's, it's great. Uh, uh, you know, everybody's very lucky now to, have access to so many things, master classes, all those kinds of things. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. 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 And the speed of, t of the technology, uh, the upgrades, and, uh, you know, how yeah. fast it's happening now. It, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, upgrades back in the day were, they were like historic moments in a different way. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> oh, my God, they're going to version, you know, 2.3, you know. Yeah. Six months have gone by, and they've just added, you know, some, some feature that... You know that that was that they've been trying to program in. You know that that was taking months and months to figure out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I feel very lucky today that things are are what they are. But I still I still do uh, I still do tempo maps on songs. It, it, mm -hmm. it, it totally uh, eases the, the problem with doing uh, like playing along with live tracks with MIDI because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I just. Do a map along with it, rather than just play and punch in live. Uh, I've got a map to to get really specific places in the song. It just it just saves a lot of time for me, and I can get the MIDI to really lock nicely with the with the grooves if they're live tracks. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh. Technology. <laughs> Gotta love it. Um, well, actually, we're at our first half of. The podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. we, we got a second half of this, and we're going to get more into what you're up to now, Jeff. Awesome. Uh, so we're going to break this up. Uh, thank you for listening, people. Uh, please leave comments and share on iTunes. And again, listen on iTunes, Spotify, Our Heart Radio. Uh, thanks again from Jeff, Dennis, and me, Fela. Let's go.
All right. Let's go, guys. Great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. For more information of Booking 23DB Productions, visit their website at 23dbproductions.com. Like and follow 23DB Productions at Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter for the latest work.